Story thirteen of Strictly Business. More stories of the four million by O. Henry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Warren Cotty, Gurney, Illinois. Story thirteen A Municipal Report. The cities are full of pride, challenging each to each. This from her mountainside that from her burthened beach r kipling fancy a novel about chicago or buffalo let us say or nashville tennessee there are just three big cities in the united states that are story cities new york of course new orleans and best of the lot san francisco frank norris east is east and west is san francisco according to californians californians are a race of people they are not merely inhabitants of a state they are the southerners of the west now chicagoans are no less loyal to their city but when you ask them why they stammer and speak of lake fish and the new oddfellows building but californians go into detail of course they have in the climate an argument that is good for half an hour while you are thinking of your coal bills and heavy underwear but as soon as they come to mistake your silence for conviction madness comes upon them and they picture the city of the golden gate as the baghdad of the new world so far as a matter of opinion no refutation is necessary but dear cousins all from adam and eve descended it is a rash one who will lay his finger on the map and say in this town there can be no romance what could happen here yes it is a bold and a rash deed to challenge in one sentence history romance and rand and mcnally nashville a city port of delivery and the capital of the state of tennessee is on the cumberland river and on the n c and st l and the l and n railroads this city is regarded as the most important educational center in the south i stepped off the train at eight p m having searched the thesaurus in vain for adjectives i must as a substitution hie me to comparison in the form of a recipe take a london fog thirty parts malaria ten parts gas leaks twenty parts dewdrops gathered in a brickyard at sunrise twenty-five parts odor of honeysuckle fifteen parts mix the mixture will give you an approximate conception of a nashville drizzle it is not so fragrant as a mothball nor as thick as pea soup but tis enough twill serve i went to a hotel in a tumbrel it required strong self-suppression for me to keep from climbing to the top of it and giving an imitation of sydney carton the vehicle was drawn by beasts of a bygone era and driven by something dark and emancipated i was sleepy and tired so when i got to the hotel i hurriedly paid it the fifty cents it demanded 
with approximate lagniap i assure you i knew its habits and i did not want to hear it prate about its old master or anything that happened before the war the hotel was one of the kind described as renovated that means twenty thousand dollars worth of new marble pillars tiling electric lights and brass cuspidors in the lobby and a new ellen timetable and a lithograph of lookout mountain in each one of the great rooms above the management was without reproach the attention full of exquisite southern courtesy the service was as slow as the progress of a snail and as good-humoured as rip van winkle the food was worth travelling a thousand miles for there is no other hotel in the world where you can get such chicken livers and brochet at dinner i asked a negro waiter if there was anything doing in town he pondered gravely for a minute and then replied well boss i don't really reckon there's anything at all doing after sundown sundown had been accomplished it had been drowned in the drizzle long before so that spectacle was denied me but i went forth upon the streets in the drizzle to see what might be there it is built on undulating grounds and the streets are lighted by electricity at a cost of thirty two thousand four hundred and seventy dollars per annum as i left the hotel there was a race riot down upon me charged a company of freedmen or arabs or zulus armed with no i saw with relief that they were not rifles but whips and i saw dimly a caravan of black clumsy vehicles and at the reassuring shouts car are you anywhere in the town boss for fifty cents i reasoned that i was merely a fare instead of a victim i walked through long streets all leading uphill i wondered how those streets ever came down again perhaps they didn't until they were graded on a few of the main streets i saw lights in stores here and there saw street-cars go by conveying worthy burghers hither and yon saw people pass engaged in the art of conversation and heard a burst of semi-lively laughter issuing from a soda-water and ice-cream parlor the streets other than maine seemed to have enticed upon their borders houses consecrated to peace and domesticity in many of them lights shone behind discreetly drawn window shades in a few pianos tinkled orderly and irreproachable music there was indeed little doing i wished i had come before sundown so i returned to my hotel in november eighteen sixty four the confederate general hood advanced against nashville where he shut up a national force under general thomas the latter then sallied forth and defeated the confederates in a terrible conflict all my life i have heard of admired and witnessed the fine marksmanship of the south in its peaceful conflicts in the tobacco-chewing regions but in my hotel a surprise awaited me there were twelve bright new imposing capacious brass cuspidors in the great lobby tall enough to be called urns 
and so wide-mouthed that the crack pitcher of a lady baseball team should have been able to throw a ball into one of them at five paces distant but although a terrible battle had raged and was still raging the enemy had not suffered bright new imposing capacious untouched they stood but shades of jefferson brick the tile floor the beautiful tile floor i could not avoid thinking of the battle of nashville and trying to draw as is my foolish habit some deductions about hereditary marksmanship here i first saw major by misplaced courtesy wentworth caswell i knew him for a type the moment my eyes suffered from the sight of him a rat has no geographical habitat my old friend a tennyson said as he so well said almost everything prophet curse me the blabbing lip and curse me the british vermin the rat let us regard the word british as interchangeable ad lib a rat is a rat this man was hunting about the hotel lobby like a starved dog that had forgotten where he had buried a bone he had a face of great acreage red pulpy and with a kind of sleepy massiveness like that of buddha he possessed one single virtue he was very smoothly shaven the mark of the beast is not indelible upon a man until he goes about with a stubble i think that if he had not used his razor that day i would have repulsed his advances and the criminal calendar of the world would have been spared the addition of one murder i happened to be standing within five feet of a cuspidor when major caswell opened fire upon it i had been observant enough to perceive that the attacking force was using gatlings instead of squirrel rifles so i sidestepped so promptly that the major seized the opportunity to apologize to a non-combatant he had the blabbing lip in four minutes he had become my friend and had dragged me to the bar i desire to interpolate here that i am a southerner but i am not one by profession or trade i eschew the string tie the slouch hat the prince albert the number of bales of cotton destroyed by sherman and plug chewing when the orchestra plays dixie i do not cheer i slide a little lower on the leather cornered seat and well order another wurzburger and wish that longstreet had but what's the use major caswell banged the bar with his fist and the first gun at fort sumter re-echoed when he fired the last one at appomattox i began to hope but then he began on family trees and demonstrated that adam was only a third cousin of a collateral branch of the caswell family genealogy disposed of he took up to my distaste his private family matters he spoke of his wife traced her descent back to eve and profanely denied any possible rumor that she may have had relations in the land of nod by this time i was beginning to suspect that he was trying to obscure by noise the fact that he had ordered the drinks on the chance that i would be bewildered into paying for them but when they were down he crashed a silver dollar loudly upon the bar 
then of course another serving was obligatory and when i had paid for that i took leave of him brusquely for i wanted no more of him but before i had obtained my release he had prated loudly of an income that his wife received and showed a handful of silver money when i got my key at the desk the clerk said to me courteously if that man caswell has annoyed you and if you would like to make a complaint we will have him ejected he is a nuisance a loafer and without any known means of support although he seems to have some money most of the time but we don't seem to be able to hit upon any means of throwing him out legally why no said i after some reflection i don't see my way clear of making a complaint but i would like to place myself on record as asserting that i do not care for his company your town i continued seems to be a quiet one what manner of entertainment adventure or excitement have you to offer the stranger within your gates well sir said the clerk there will be a show here next thursday it is i'll look it up and have the announcement sent up to your room with the ice water good night after i went up to my room i looked out the window it was only about ten o'clock but i looked upon a silent town the drizzle continued spangled with dim lights as far apart as currants in a cake sold at the ladies exchange a quiet place i said to myself as my first shoe struck the ceiling of the occupant of the room beneath mine nothing of the life here that gives color and variety to the cities in the east and west just a good ordinary humdrum business town nashville occupies a foremost place among the manufacturing centers of the country it is the fifth boot and shoe market in the united states the largest candy and cracker manufacturing city in the south and does an enormous wholesale dry goods grocery and drug business i must tell you how i came to be in nashville and i assure you the digression brings as much tedium to me as it does to you i was traveling elsewhere on my own business but i had a commission from a northern literary magazine to stop over there and establish a personal connection between the publication and one of its contributors azalea adair adair there was no clue to the personality except the handwriting had sent in some essays lost art and poems that had made the editors swear approvingly over their one o'clock luncheon so they had commissioned me to round up said adair and corner by contract his or her output at two cents a word before some other publisher offered her ten or twenty at nine o'clock the next morning after my chicken livers and brochet try them if you can find that hotel i strayed out into the drizzle which was still on for an unlimited run at the first corner i came upon uncle caesar he was a stalwart negro older than the pyramids with gray wool and a face that reminded me of brutus and a second afterwards of the late king setaweo he wore the most remarkable coat that i had ever seen or expect to see it reached to his ankles and had once been a confederate gray in colors but rain and sun and age had so variegated it 
that joseph's coat beside it would have faded to a pale monochrome i must linger with that coat for it has to do with the story the story that is so long in coming because you can hardly expect anything to happen in nashville once it must have been the military coat of an officer the cape of it had vanished but all adowns its front it had been frogged and tasseled magnificently but now the frogs and tassels were gone in their stead had been patiently stitched i surmised by some surviving black mammy new frogs made of cunningly twisted common hempen twine this twine was frayed and dishevelled it must have been added to the coat as a substitute for vanished splendors with tasteless but painstaking devotion for it followed faithfully the curves of the long missing frogs and to complete the comedy and pathos of the garment all its buttons were gone save one the second button from the top alone remained the coat was fastened by other twine strings tied through the buttonholes and other holes rudely pierced in the opposite side there was never such a weird garment so fantastically bedecked and of so many mottled hues the lone button was the size of a half dollar made of yellow horn and sewed on with coarse twine this negro stood by a carriage so old that ham himself might have started a hack line with it after he left the ark with the two animals hitched to it as i approached he threw open the door drew out a feather duster waved it without using it and said in deep rumbling tones step right in sir ain't a speck of dust in it just got back from a funeral sir i inferred that on such gala occasions carriages were given an extra cleaning i looked up and down the street and perceived that there was little choice among the vehicles for hire that lined the curb i looked in my memorandum book for the address of azalea adair i want to go to eight six one jessamine street i said and was about to step into the hack but for an instant the thick long gorilla-like arm of the old negro barred me on his massive and saturnine face a look of sudden suspicion and enmity flashed for a moment then with quickly returning conviction he asked blandishingly what are you gwine there for boss what is it to you i asked a little sharply nothing sir just nothing only it's a lonesome kind of part of town and few folks ever has business out there step right in the seats is clean just got back from a funeral sir a mile and a half it must have been to our journey's end i could hear nothing but the fearful rattle of the ancient hack over the uneven brick paving i could smell nothing but the drizzle now further flavored with coal smoke and something like a mixture of tar and oleander blossoms all i could see through the streaming windows were two rows of dim houses the city has an area of ten square miles one hundred and eighty-one miles of streets of which one hundred and thirty-seven miles are paved a system of waterworks that cost two million dollars with seventy-seven miles of mains 
861 Jessamine Street, was a decayed mansion. Thirty yards back from the street, it stood, outmerged in a splendid grove of trees and untrimmed shrubbery. A row of box bushes overflowed and almost hid the paling fence from sight. The gate was kept closed by a rope noose that encircled the gatepost and the first paling of the gate. But when you got inside, you saw that 861 was a shell, a shadow, a ghost of former grandeur and excellence. But in the story, I have not yet got inside. When the hack had ceased from rattling and the weary quadrupeds came to a rest, I handed him, my Jehu, his fifty cents with an additional quarter, feeling a glow of conscious generosity as I did so. He refused it. It's two dollars, sir, he said. How's that? I asked. I plainly heard you call out at the hotel fifty cents to any part of the town. It's two dollars, sir, he repeated obstinately. It's a long ways from the hotel. It is within the city limits and well within them, I argued. Don't think that you have picked up a greenhorn Yankee. Do you see those hills over there? I went on, pointing toward the east. I could not see them myself for the drizzle. Well, I was born and raised on the other side. You old fool nigger, can't you tell people from other people when you see them? The grim face of King Sadaweo softened. Is you from the south, sir? I reckon it was them shoes of yourn fooled me. They is something sharp in the toes for the southern gentleman to wear. Then the charge is fifty cents, I suppose, said I inexorably. His former expression, a mingling of cupidity and hostility, returned, remained ten seconds, and vanished. Boss, he said, fifty cents is right but i needs two dollars sir i'm obliged to have two dollars i ain't demandin it now sir after i know whars you're from i'm just saying that i has to have two dollars tonight and business is mighty poor peace and confidence settled upon his heavy features he had been luckier than he had hoped Instead of having picked up a greenhorn, ignorant of rates, he had come upon an inheritance. You confounded old rascal, I said, reaching down to my pocket. You ought to be turned over to the police. For the first time I saw him smile. He knew. He knew. He knew. I gave him two one-dollar bills. As I handed them over, I noticed that one of them had seen parlous times. Its upper right-hand corner was missing, and it had been torn through the middle, but joined again. A strip of blue tissue paper, pasted over the split, preserved its negotiability. Enough of the African bandit for the present. I left him happy, lifted the rope, and opened a creaky gate. The house, as I said, was a shell. A paintbrush had not touched it in twenty years. I could not see why a strong wind should not have bowled it over like a house of cards until I looked again at the trees that hugged it close. 
the trees that saw the battle of nashville and still drew their protecting branches around it against storm and enemy and cold azalea adair fifty years old white-haired a descendant of the cavaliers as thin and frail as the house she lived in robed in the cheapest and cleanest dress i ever saw with an air as simple as a queen's received me the reception-room seemed a mile square because there was nothing in it except some rows of books on unpainted white pine bookshelves a cracked marble-topped table a rag rug a hairless horsehair sofa and two or three chairs yes there was a picture on the wall a colored crayon drawing of a cluster of pansies i looked around for the portrait of andrew jackson and the pine-cone hanging basket but they were not there azalea adair and i had a conversation a little of which will be repeated to you she was a product of the old south gently nurtured in the sheltered life her learning was not broad but was deep and of splendid originality in its somewhat narrow scope she had been educated at home and her knowledge of the world was derived from inference and by inspiration of such is the precious small group of essayists made while she talked to me i kept brushing my fingers trying unconsciously to rid them guiltily of the absent dust from the half-calf backs of lamb chaucer hazlitt marcus aurelius montaigne and hood she was exquisite she was a valuable discovery nearly everybody nowadays knows too much oh so much too much of real life i could perceive clearly that azalea adair was very poor a house and address she had not much else i fancied so divided between my duty to the magazine and my loyalty to the poets and essayists who fought thomas in the valley of the cumberland i listened to her voice which was like a harpsichord's and found that i could not speak of contracts in the presence of the nine muses and the three graces one hesitated to lower the topic to two cents there would have to be another colloquy after i had regained my commercialism but i spoke of my mission and three o'clock of the next afternoon was set for the discussion of the business proposition your town i said as i began to make ready to depart which is the time for smooth generalities seems to be a quiet sedate place a home town i should say where a few things out of the ordinary ever happen it carries on an extensive trade in stoves and hollowware with the west and south and its flouring mills have a daily capacity of more than two thousand barrels azalea adair seemed to reflect i have never thought of it that way she said with a kind of sincere intensity that seemed to belong to her isn't it in the still quiet places that things do happen i fancy that when god began to create the earth on the first monday morning one could have leaned out one's window and heard the drops of mud splashing from his trowel as he built up the everlasting hills 
what did the noisiest project in the world i mean the building of the tower of babel result in finally a page and a half of esperanto in the north american review of course said i platitudinously human nature is the same everywhere but there is more color er more drama and movement and er, romance in some cities than in others on the surface said azalea adair i have travelled many times around the world in a golden airship wafted on two wings print and dreams i have seen on one of my imaginary tours the sultan of turkey bowstring with his own hands one of his wives who had uncovered her face in public i have seen a man in nashville tear up his theatre tickets because his wife was going out with her face covered with rice powder in san francisco's chinatown i saw the slave girl sing yi dipped slowly inch by inch in boiling almond oil to make her swear she would never see her american lover again she gave in when the boiling oil had reached three inches above her knee at a euchre party in east nashville the other night i saw kitty morgan cut dead by seven of her schoolmates and lifelong friends because she had married a house painter the boiling oil was sizzling as high as her heart but i wish you could have seen the fine little smile that she carried from table to table oh yes it is a humdrum town just a few miles of red brick houses and mud and lumber yards someone knocked hollowly at the back of the house azalea adair breathed a soft apology and went to investigate the sound she came back in three minutes with brightened eyes a faint flush on her cheeks and ten years lifted from her shoulders you must have a cup of tea before you go she said and a sugar cake she reached and shook a little iron bell in shuffled a small negro girl about twelve barefoot not very tidy glowering at me with thumb and mouth and bulging eyes azalea adair opened a tiny worn purse and drew out a dollar bill a dollar bill with the upper right-hand corner missing torn in two pieces and pasted together again with a strip of blue tissue paper it was one of the bills i had given the piratical negro there was no doubt about it go up to mr baker's store on the corner impey she said handing the girl the dollar bill and get a quarter of a pound of tea the kind he always sends me and ten cents worth of sugar cakes now hurry the supply of tea in the house happens to be exhausted she explained to me impey left by the back way before the scrape of her hard bare feet had died away on the back porch a wild shriek i was sure it was hers filled the hollow house then the deep gruff tones of an angry man's voice mingled with the girl's further squeals and unintelligible words azalea adair rose without surprise or emotion and disappeared for two minutes i heard the hoarse rumble of the man's voice then something like an oath and a slight scuffle and she returned calmly to her chair this is a roomy house she said and i have a tenant for part of it 
i am sorry to have to rescind my invitation to tea it was impossible to get the kind i always use at the store perhaps to-morrow mr baker will be able to supply me i was sure that impey had not had time to leave the house i inquired concerning street-car lines and took my leave after i was well on my way i remembered that i had not learned azalea adair's name but to-morrow would do that same day i started in on the course of iniquity that this uneventful city forced upon me i was in the town only two days but in that time i managed to lie shamelessly by telegraph and to be an accomplice after the fact if that is the correct legal term to a murder as i rounded the corner nearest my hotel the affright coachman of the polychromatic nonpareil coat seized me swung open the dungeony door of his peripatetic sarcophagus flirted his feather duster and began his ritual step right in boss carriage is clean just got back from a funeral fifty cents to any and then he knew me and grinned broadly excuse me boss you is the gentleman what rid out with me this morning thank you kindly sir i am going out to eight six one again to-morrow afternoon at three said i and if you will be here i'll let you drive me so you know miss adair i concluded thinking of my dollar bill i belong to her father judge adair sir he replied i judge that she is pretty poor i said she hasn't much money to speak of has she for an instant i looked again at the fierce countenance of king sedaweo and then he changed back to an extortionate old negro hack driver she ain't going to starve sir he said slowly she has resources sir she has resources i shall pay you fifty cents for the trip said i that is perfectly correct sir he answered humbly i just had to have dat two dollars dis mornin boss i went to the hotel and lied by electricity i wired the magazine quote, a adair holds out for eight cents a word End quote. the answer that came back was quote, give it to her quick you duffer End quote. just before dinner major wentworth caswell bore down upon me with the greetings of a long-lost friend i have seen few men whom i have so instantaneously hated and of whom it was so difficult to be rid i was standing at the bar when he invaded me therefore i could not wave the white ribbon in his face i would have paid gladly for the drinks hoping thereby to escape another but he was one of those despicable roaring advertising bibbers who must have brass bands and fireworks attend upon every cent that they waste in their follies with an air of producing millions he drew two one-dollar bills from a pocket and dashed one of them upon the bar i looked once more at the dollar bill with the upper right-hand corner missing torn through the middle and patched with a strip of blue tissue paper it was my dollar bill again it could have been no other i went up to my room 
the drizzle and the monotony of a dreary eventless southern town had made me tired and listless i remember that just before i went to bed i mentally disposed of the mysterious dollar bill which might have formed the clue to a tremendously fine detective story of san francisco by saying to myself sleepily seems as if a lot of people here own stock in the hack driver's trust pays dividends promptly too wonder if then i fell asleep king sedaweo was at his post the next day and rattled my bones over the stones out to eight six one he was to wait and rattle me back again when i was ready azalea adair looked paler and cleaner and frailer than she had looked on the day before after she had signed the contract at eight cents per word she grew still paler and began to slip out of her chair without much trouble i managed to get her up on the antediluvian horsehair sofa and then i ran out to the sidewalk and yelled to the coffee-colored pirate to bring a doctor with the wisdom that i had not expected in him he abandoned his team and struck off up the street afoot realizing the value of speed in ten minutes he returned with a grave gray-haired and capable man of medicine in a few words worth much less than eight cents each i explained to him my presence in the hollow house of mystery he bowed with stately understanding and turned to the old negro uncle caesar he said calmly run up to my house and ask miss lucy to give you a cream pitcher full of fresh milk and half a tumbler of port wine and hurry back don't drive run i want you to get back some time this week it occurred to me that dr merriman also felt a distrust as to the speeding powers of the land pirates steeds after uncle caesar was gone lumberingly but swiftly up the street the doctor looked me over with great politeness and as much careful calculation until he had decided that i might do it is only a case of insufficient nutrition he said in other words the result of poverty pride and starvation mrs caswell has many devoted friends who would be glad to aid her but she will accept nothing except from that old negro uncle caesar who was once owned by her family mrs caswell said i in surprise and then i looked at the contract and saw that she had signed it azalea adair caswell i thought she was miss adair i said married to a drunken worthless loafer sir said the doctor it is said that he robs her even of the small sums that her old servant contributes toward her support when the milk and wine had been brought the doctor soon revived azalea adair she sat up and talked of the beauty of the autumn leaves that were then in season and their height of color she referred lightly to her fainting seizure as the outcome of an old palpitation of the heart impey fanned her as she lay on the sofa the doctor was due elsewhere and i followed him to the door i told him that it was within my power and intentions to make a reasonable advance of money to azalea adair on future contributions to the magazine and he seemed pleased by the way he said perhaps you would like to know that you have had royalty for a coachman 
old caesar's grandfather was a king in congo caesar himself has royal ways as you may have observed as the doctor was moving off i heard uncle caesar's voice inside did he get both of them two dollars from you miss Celia? yes caesar i heard azalea adair answer weakly and then i went in and concluded business negotiations with our contributor i assumed the responsibility of advancing fifty dollars putting it as a necessary formality in binding our bargain and then uncle caesar drove me back to the hotel here ends all of the story as far as i can testify as a witness the rest must be only bare statements of facts at about six o'clock i went out for a stroll uncle caesar was at his corner he threw open the door of his carriage flourished his duster and began his depressing formula step right in sir fifty cents to anywhere in the city hacks perfectly clean sir just got back from a funeral and then he recognized me i think his eyesight was getting bad his coat had taken on a few more faded shades of color the twine strings were more frayed and ragged the last remaining button the button of yellow horn was gone a motley descendant of kings was uncle caesar about two hours later i saw an excited crowd besieging the front of a drug store in a desert where nothing happens this was manna so i wedged my way inside on an extemporized couch of empty boxes and chairs was stretched the mortal corporeality of major wentworth caswell a doctor was testing him for the immortal ingredient his decision was that it was conspicuous by its absence the erstwhile major had been found dead on a dark street and brought by curious and ennuied citizens to the drug store the late human being had been engaged in terrific battle the details showed that loafer and reprobate that he had been he had been also a warrior but he had lost his hands were yet clinched so tightly that his fingers would not be opened the gentle citizens who had known him stood about and searched their vocabularies to find some good words if it were possible to speak of him one kind-looking man said after much thought when cass was about fourteen he was one of the best spellers in school while i stood there the fingers of the right hand of the man that was which hung down the side of a white pine box relaxed and dropped something at my feet i covered it with one foot quietly and a little later on i picked it up and pocketed it i reasoned that in his last struggle his hand must have seized that object unwittingly and held it in a death grip at the hotel that night the main topic of conversation with the possible exceptions of politics and prohibition was the demise of major caswell i heard one man say to a group of listeners in my opinion gentlemen caswell was murdered by some of these no-account niggers for his money he had fifty dollars this afternoon 
which he showed to several gentlemen in the hotel when he was found the money was not on his person i left the city the next morning at nine and as the train was crossing the bridge over the cumberland river i took out of my pocket a yellow horn overcoat button the size of a fifty-cent piece with frayed ends of coarse twine hanging from it and cast it out of the window into the slow muddy waters below i wonder what's doing in buffalo end of story thirteen a municipal report